trouble with the law since the day they was born. Straightening the curves, flattening the hills. Someday the mountain might get them, but the law never will. Hey folks, Jeff Fry here. Welcome to the Shigon Podcast. Today I have a very special guest, Mr. Kevin Mench, Texas Ranger great. Grew up um, in Delaware, was a superstar college player, got drafted in the fourth round by the Texas Rangers. He was uh, in the big leagues for eight years, had a little stint in Japan, I believe, maybe Korea. Uh, just an all-around great guy. I'm very upset that I never had the chance to play with Kevin because uh, I know we would have been buddies. And, um, you know, fortunately now we're buddies and uh, getting to know each other a lot better. And, and he's got a great podcast going. We'll talk about that during the show. But I wanted to welcome my friend Kevin Mench to the She Gone Podcast. What's up, buddy? What's up, Barry Jeffrey? How doing you doing? Right today? Doing all right, man. Doing all right. You know, just... Uh, Got banned from Twitter two days ago for, I guess, for uh, being too unruly and people not liking the, some of the stuff I'm doing on social media. But uh, I think that's kind of a badge of honor, Kevin, getting banned from Twitter, right? Probably. It's, you know, people can't handle, they can't handle the truth. They don't, you can't agree to disagree anymore, right? It's, if, it, if it's not part of their narrative, they just cancel culture. We get rid of you. Right. But it seems like when that happens, the person that gets canceled, the numbers seem to skyrocket. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I guess uh, I've heard this before that, uh, you know, there's no such thing as bad publicity. Right. Even if it's negative publicity, it's supposed to be good. And that that doesn't exactly. seem to make a lot of sense to me. But, oh, well, that, that's what it is. And that's that's I mean, that's just the problem. Nobody wants to hear the truth. And, you know, you see it in, in sports and everything nowadays. They don't like it when they leave a school because they hurt my feelings. and. You know, I'll take my ball and go play somewhere else. Yeah, we used to not let those kids come back when they did that when we were kids, right? No. Somebody left and took their ball and, 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 and ruined the whole game. The next time they wanted to play, we didn't play with them. Yeah. Or if they did come back, they had to pass a certain amount of tests, right? They had to be let back in, right? You want to come back in? All right, well, then you're going to have to do, you know, some sort something to justify why you want to come back and if the rest of them, you know, or they just let you vote them in or out, right? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Yeah, it's kind of like the, uh, kind of like the, you know, the rookie initiation when we were coming up. And, you know, I heard you talking to uh, Doug Minkiewicz the other day on your podcast, the Big Head Pod. And, uh, you know, the stuff that we did, some of the stuff that we did or they did to us when we first came up, we weren't allowed to question it. We didn't because we didn't, we wanted, to be part of the team. We wanted to be part of the group and the guys, the very few guys that fought back and, and weren't willing to buy into the rookie initiation, the getting dressed, you know, dressed up stuff. Those guys were ostracized. Those guys were like not part of the team ever after that. And it's just, it, it was crazy to me that they didn't realize what they were doing when they were doing it. And afterward, everybody's like, yeah, whatever. You know, they weren't part of the team, but the guys who bought in, the Bob Files of the world who, who went through all this stuff, man, we love those guys. They're a part of us. They're part of the family. It's, that's just like having older siblings. You know, you have, it's that initiation of 
of bringing them into into your your group, right? It's in in sports and especially baseball. You know, you, you don't you stop worrying. You start worrying when people start stop talking about you. That's when you have a problem. As long as people talk about you, that means you're in their mind. When they stop talking about you, that's when you're gonna start worrying. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, I don't know. I was I was fortunate enough. I don't know how I slipped through the cracks, but I got called up. You know, two thirds of the way through the season in the '92, and they never did the the rookie initiation with me. The next year, I was on the DL all year with a with a torn ACL, and then in '94, um, I guess technically I wasn't a rookie anymore because I had over a year of service time. So they never got me with the getting dressed up stuff, but uh, I sure was uh, part of it the years that I was playing and. and I remember dressing up the boys and with the Red Sox and we were in New York City and making them walk four or five blocks down the street to the hotel in their superhero uniforms. So it was classic, man. It was awesome. I, they got me at Yankee Stadium coming back. So we were leaving and then, you know, the old Yankee Stadium, you know, when you walk out, all the there's two, three hundred fans over to the right because their parking lot straight out. We were we did we were pimps and hoes. So guys that were almost at a year but weren't. Uh, were the pimps, and then all the hosts were like with myself, Travis Hafner, Blaylock, and we had to go over there and sign autographs and all these in our outfits, and then had to you know serve food on the plane ride back to Texas from there. So it was, it was one of those you know it's just, and then we get home, and then ESPN was waiting for us when we get off the bus here at the ballpark, you know, just <laughs> taking video of us. So it was just one of those where you knew it was coming, but it was a part of it. You wanted to do it because you knew it made you a part of that of that tribe, that initiation, you know, you didn't feel ostracized. You would feel left out if, wait, why didn't they pick me to play? You know, uh, I, I was fortunate enough. I had guys that weren't that way. And if you did fight it, what would they do? They'd go in. I think uh, we had somebody that went in and cut up somebody's jersey and did they do all kinds of stuff just because if you complain, right, I think you were, you were privy to the, was it the three-man lift? Yes, and they never got me with that. They got me with a few other things that I can't really say on air right now. That uh, the military set up uh, won't go into details, and uh, uh, but that was just part of it, Kevin. And we, you know, I was listening to your podcast the other day a little bit about the you know what minor league life was like and the stuff that it was so different when we played. About we just accepted stuff, man. You just had to roll with it. You know, you had four dudes living in a in an apartment, and you just had to learn to get along and learn to deal with the adversity and stuff. And we just, I think it made us tougher. It made us stronger. Um, we couldn't wait to get to the field because the life, you know, it wasn't like the life we had before we went into the minor leagues. It was like a lot of times I was wondering what I was going to eat for my next meal because I was only making... 800 bucks a month and I had an apartment and a TV and, and all this furniture and stuff. And it's like, man, you just learn to deal with that stuff. And that's, you know, I don't know that these guys today are having to do the stuff that we had to do. No, fighting for the spread, you know, getting to with the peanut butter and jelly. And that was the motivation to get you out of where you were. I, I, you know, I can't survive doing this. What do I need to do to get from, from where I am now to the next level? Right. As you progress, the food got better. Right. And the traveling, some of it got better. And then, you know, that, that was the object. That was the motivation. And now I'm just trying to motivate kids. It's at, even at 12 and 13, you're trying to really what, what more motivation do you need than trying to get 
to be the guy on TV, right? It's almost as if the, the world owes them something. We never, the world didn't owe us anything. We had to fight for everything we had. And you, you talk about, you had those guys that you played with that you came through together, right? You knew, you know, you could mess around with them, but no, you, the ultimate goal was the same goal for each of you. Yep, yep. And, and I, I can remember in spring training, my first years, I came, my first spring training was in 89 um, with the Rangers in Port Charlotte. And, you know, I think they had a van. I didn't have a car, so they had like a van that would pick us up at the hotel, take us to the Ponderosa to eat breakfast. And then you go out on the field, you know, you get to the stadium probably about eight or nine o'clock and you're out on the field till 12, 12, 15, <clears throat> excuse me. And then you, uh, you know, you come inside, try to grab some quick lunch. And if you're one of the last teams in, uh, that box of fruit is probably gone by then. And the, the Lipton cup of soup that we had, the water was lukewarm and it wouldn't even dissolve. And you, a lot of times I remember playing those games in spring training with my stomach growling, I was starving. And, and now these guys, they've got chefs and they've got all this stuff. And I'm, I'm just wondering why these guys are not better than we were. In my mind, there's no way these guys are better baseball players than the guys from our generation. Um, they're better athletes, they're better nutrition, they have better conditioning, but there's no way these guys are better baseball players. It's that mentality. It's the the world owes me. I you know I did all this stuff. You owe me, and if not, you know we talk about I'm going to complain and then get you fired because I don't like what you're doing, and then and then moving on. And if you don't like, then they jump jump ship from you know we talk in college sports. They don't like it. You can transfer to the portals many times as you want because somebody hurt your feelings. You didn't want to put in the work. That's what it comes down to. That mental side of it, the stuff you can't teach. Right? How we were. Because it was a grind. Think about it. You talk about it. I mean, some of the cities, the towns that we played in through the minor leagues. I started out in Pulaski, Virginia. You know, and then I was in the Florida State League. And then you're in Tulsa. So you're all over the place making a job. You have to adjust to different things, lifestyle and travel. You know, some of those leagues, you're riding 15-hour bus rides. And yeah. that, that stuff builds you mentally. Being able to, how do I do, how do I ride a bus for 15 hours? Get off. Go, go strap it on. Go play. Right now, it's um, I'll just take a plane flight instead. I'll talk to my agent. I won't fly with my drive with the team. I'll fly over there, and that's what I mean. It's they just cater to these kids, and there's no toughness to them really, if you think about it. Yeah, and the uh, it's funny you mentioned the agent thing. So, you know, I had an agent when I first started. Uh, I guess after my first year, Bump Wills was my manager, and and his college roommate had become an agent. So Bump kind of pushed me toward that guy named David Sloan and he was my agent for a while and you know, he didn't really do much for me maybe some batting gloves whatever and I would never never even consider calling my agent to complain to the organization about something and fast forward I think it was 1999 I'm with the Red Sox and I'm doing a rehab assignment in in Fort Myers me and Scott Hattieberger there together and uh, I had knee surgery and and so we're down there playing in the, in the Gulf Coast League. And one of the pitchers that was there had, had recently signed from playing college baseball. And he was like a second round pick or something. And his job, the days, I guess they alternated or whatever, but his job was to be the bat boy for the game that day. 
you know, it's not a tough job. You just basically got to sit by the dugout and go get the bat when somebody drops it after that bat. And he called his agent to complain about having to be the bat boy. And his agent called the Red Sox. And we had a team meeting the next day about agents calling the organization. And everybody knew who it was from. And from that point on, nobody liked that dude. I'm not sure they liked him before that. But after that, when we all got yelled at because he called his agent because he was too good to be the bat boy, it's like everybody there immediately didn't like that guy. It's like, as an agent, I would have never done that. I would have said, listen, man, do you know, suck it up, be the bat boy. It's not that tough. There's yet more things to worry about. You're just kind of building your relationship with your teammates. Don't worry about it. But instead, his agent called the organization, and next thing you know, the whole team's having a meeting because of this one knucklehead. Yeah, that's the, that's that entitlement. And I think it's gotten worse as we've gotten, you know, to this generation now. That's just a part, you know, even the agent should understand, look, it's a part of it. You've got to earn your earn your stripes. I know, you know, it's kind of, you know, we'll take the union, for instance, right? Major league players are part of the union. Now they're letting minor league players. Well, that was part of that goal, too to get to the major league level to be a part of that union, right? To be a part of it. Now they're just, well, just, it's like they're just handing things out to people here. Here you go. Here's this. You don't have to work for it. You know, here, just stay. So what doesn't, what's not keeping that person from playing their entire career in AAA? Well, I'm part of the union, so I can just, I don't have the big league talent, but I can play in AAA for 15 years and still get, you know, part of, be part of the union, but I never really, earned it to make it to that major league level. That's how I feel on that side of it. What do you, you know, I always like to see what guys thoughts are on that. Yeah. I, 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 I'm, I'm kind of in, I'm not really sure, Kevin, I know it's kind of a new thing, but uh, you know, I know what you mean as far as that, you know, we earn the right to be part of the major league baseball player association by becoming major leaguers. Um, and now, you know, the Meyer leaguers, I do feel like they've probably, not increase the salaries quickly enough and a lot you know with inflation things it's tough to, for these guys to to live on what we used to make because i mean as recently as like last year year before the the guys start out making 1100 a month in 2020 and in 1988 i was making 700 a month so obviously that hasn't increased enough um, but i don't feel like they should be part of the same union as major leaguers maybe have a separate faction or whatever but uh you know that's tough i, I don't really know you know are they going to get a pension from being in the Meyer leagues for 10 years i don't really understand how all that's going to work maybe i should know as an agent but uh it's going to be interesting to see where that goes but are we going to get it then too since we played minor league ball is what you know it you know i, you know, I understand that side of you know as far as the work that's what they're getting paid but Think about it. When, when you were making that eight hundred a month, you figured out a way to make it work, right? That's, oh, yeah. that's part of that character. Really? That's, that's, <laughs> yeah. That's, so did we, right? We figured it out. You know, we're only making this. Okay. They have. You know, you go to each city. They have apartment. You know, apartments and whatever. All right. Who do I need? Who's a roommate that we can get together? We can. You know, still do it. You know, even if we broke even, we were still. We still figured out to, how to make it work. And I think that's the, what, what's missing from this is these guys, they're not taught to make – how do I make it work? I call and complain. I don't dig in, figure it out, and, you know, the creativity of how we – right? We'll go live in a double wide, three of us. Okay, whatever. 
Yeah. But if it saves us money and we can it and we're still getting the job done, right? That's that character building that helps you get to the big leagues when you know your meal money's what hundred bucks a day, as you know, as opposed to a hundred bucks a month. So we you figure out a way to do it, and I think that's the problem. They don't give these guys the opportunity to figure out how to do it. It's kind of when we were playing, they I was always told that once you get to double A and above, Latin, like the Latin players should learn to speak English because they're playing baseball in the U.S. Right mm-hmm. now, you see guys on TV that they still don't they're not speaking any English, right? But I was always told that it's almost like they didn't because I remember my first year of pro ball. They had computers where the, the Latin players would take English class. They would sit in front of a computer and learn. And I would go in there just to see, you know, you know what they were going through. And I would sit in front of a computer and try and learn a bit, little bit of Spanish. Because you think about it, what, the Spanish they taught us was what? Always the bad stuff. Any language you go. That's usually what they teach you, which yeah. was fun. But it made it fun, too, when they were trying to learn as well. But I just, I, it's like all this stuff that we were taught is going by the wayside. And it's just, no, here you go. Whatever you need will cater to you. And, and I, and I know now there's 30 coaches at every level. It seems like in fact, when we had three, so they just seem to just, it's like they ever, they bend over backwards to give everything to these kids. It's like the work's not put in. Yeah. And that starts also, I mean, that starts from the you know, little leagues and now, now the select baseball where these kids are getting these D one scholarships and, and going to these universities and getting free equipment, and then they get signed to play pro ball, and it's a step down. <laughs> it's yeah. a step down because the facilities, a lot of times, I mean, I know they're a lot better now than when I was playing, and um, but it's a step down for a lot of these kids to to go to professional baseball because they're not catered to and have everything. You know, they they actually have to work now, Kevin, because it's a full time job, and it's not you're only allowed to practice so many hours a week. Yeah. I mean, you remember the Latin guys, those guys, you know, a lot of them came from nothing, you know, and they would come. I remember during the season, even in minor leagues, I would give them, you know, shoes and gloves and whatnot because they didn't have much. Uh-huh. Right. And they, and they were, you know, eternally grateful for it because you were, you know, that even if it was a used glove, that was could have been a brand new one in their mind because of what they were brought up from, you know, and seeing those guys and what they what they went through from. You know, you, you showed a video that the young man throwing, was he throwing bricks and pouring rain and full catcher's gear down there? Oh, yeah. Kasumba. Right. Kasumba. He's he's uh, he's not in, in South America. He's like in Africa or Nigeria or somewhere. Um, but, man, I love watching this guy's videos. This guy's, I mean, is this guy wanted or what? Yeah. That's the improvisation, improvisation that these guys have. What, what can I do to make me better? They think I have to have a ball and a tee. You can figure it out, but that's what I mean. This the creativity is gone. If you can figure out how to get to get the work in, you need the playing side. You can figure out the way to, the money side to get it to work out. You know, and that's the thing. It's just like they've taken all that out, and then it's here. Here you go. Here's everything you need. And if you don't, you complain, and then we'll get the coach fired, and everybody else will bring somebody else in that you like, so then you're happy. But you know, the guys collectively get pissed off at that stuff. Right, because oh, yeah. right, yeah. That's what ha- that's what creates the fights. The guys go in there, and you need to just shut your mouth, or I'm gonna punch you in the face, type of thing. Now it's well, if you do that, then I'll just I'll call my agent, and then you'll get released, and this and that, and that's there's no more. That's what I mean. There's no more fight for it, and I don't know where it's gone. What's happened? Is it started at a young age with these kids, or is it just this mentality, this generation? I don't know. Well, these kids are signing for seven million dollars in the draft. These guys. 
These guys are signing for more money than a lot of guys we played with who played in the big leagues made in their entire careers. And this, you know, before they have one game in professional baseball, they got seven million and before taxes, obviously. But uh, yeah, it's crazy. So I think it's, you know, what I really think is hurting Major League Baseball is there's no veterans to teach these young kids anymore. Um, you know, you can't, you don't have the 12 year veteran, the the Mark Sweeney's or the Lenny Harris's, those guys that that um, hung around forever because they were great for the the team chemistry and they would teach guys uh, how to be a professional. And you don't see those guys around anymore because they're too expensive, but rather just bring up this 22-year-old from AA and let him learn on the job. And that was not the case when we played. You had to be ready to play in the big leagues when you got called up, and that is not the same today. And I, I don't know. And you as an agent see that. You mean is even watching high school kids, the attitude that they have, right? You've showed it in the you know, in the videos you have of look at me, it's about what I do. There's no team anymore. Let right? the kids play, Kevin. Yeah, let them kids play and flip that bat. It's more fun. And baseball's not fun, it's boring. So you gotta flip your bat and pound your chest to have fun. That's what parents are saying. Yeah. And granted, we would get out there if we were if we were doing an inner squad or something, we would try and rub it in guys' face, just joking around type of thing, right? Because we knew if somebody took it too far, somebody was going to put them in their place. And I think that's the problem. There's, like you said, there's no there's no accountability to that to put somebody in their place because of fear of repercussions. I'm going to get they're going to call my they're going to call my dad and I'm going to get in trouble, as opposed to the respect that's taught it. Start, it starts at home, really. I mean, if your kids don't respect you at home, they're not going to respect the stuff that you're, that's given to them. And, and it's hard to do. I agree. And parenting, parenting is uh, is on the decline for sure because everybody wants to be friends with their kids now and not parent them. And you know, I always had this – I didn't grow up with my – I didn't know my dad till I was 27. So I was basically um, – the father figures in my life were my uncles and – my uncle's friends and man, there was a little bit of fear there for doing something wrong. And, you know, I love them to death, but there was just always this little bit of fear where I was afraid to disappoint them or do something wrong because I knew there'd be repercussions. And I don't, nowadays, I don't think it's, that happens as much anymore. And, and mom and daddy or when their college age kid gets in trouble, uh, mom and daddy are there to bail them out and there's really no repercussions for doing something stupid. And I think that's hurting these kids in the long run because I mean, we, we need to, we need to build character in these kids and we need to build good, um, good people. And I think so many of these kids are getting away with just being knuckleheads nowadays. Well, what builds character? Make, making mistakes is what builds the character, right? What, what you see um, you know, that the mistakes we learn, we learn from our mistakes and that builds us to understand, okay, that's not going to work. How do I, how do I change it? Right. So you go, you know, we talk with what you talk about through the Shigong, as far as the hitting, the fielding, the fundamental stuff that we would do, we made mistakes. We learned right through the mistakes, but we continue to do the same thing over and over again until our craft became just second nature where it didn't have to, to think about it. Right. But we learned, all right, I can't, 
I can't move my feet this way on a ground ball because this isn't going to work. As opposed to, I think this generation now, they, they try it once, doesn't work, move on. Or I watch somebody do it on TV, therefore I've done it. I'm better at what I've done as opposed to putting in the work, you know, going to the batting cage, putting in that work. Of, Man, this doesn't feel right. What do I need to do? Uh, coach said I should do this, but he's, you know, I watch this on TV, so I did a few swings that worked. They're not out there for three hours taking doing the fundamental stuff. Five minutes, I'm good. So, um, you know, so what do they do? I'm talking to a coach the other day about it. As a, as a coach, they go in and go, we well, have 26 different personalities, 26 different coaches that are teaching them on the outside, and then they come together. They're not on the same page. So what So what do they do? You have, you know, 10 different hitting coaches you're dealing with. So I don't know what he's teaching you, and then I change. And these kids have – it's just, you know, paralysis by analysis. There's just too much information thrown at them. Nobody's on the same page. So I think it just comes down to eh, you guys just do whatever, and then uh, we'll see how the, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, and I, I was wondering that too because uh, yeah, I know now they have you know at least two coaches pretty much at every position. There's assistant hitting coach, there's assistant assistant hitting coach, there's a director of hitting. There's all these different coaching jobs now in the big leagues. It's like, all right, so I'm in a slump. I've you know had two or three bad games in a row. Maybe I've Sucked for a week, got a couple hits, and I need to go to the cage. How do I know which one of these hitting coaches to listen to? So I've got three different opinions because um, there's no possible way that these guys are all on exactly the same page. So how do you know which guy to listen to? And to me, it, you're exactly right. It's paralysis by analysis, too much information. It was so much easier when you had a hitting coach that you went up to and said, man, Jim Rice, what am I doing wrong? Or Rudy Hadamil or Clint Hurdle, or what are you seeing? What are you seeing? Can we go to the cage and work on this stuff? And you go knock it out in 20, 30 minutes. You feel better about yourself and you go into the game, hopefully feeling more confident and having a chance for to have some success. But now with three hitting coaches, how do you know which one to talk to? You're, can you imagine if – when we were playing, Rudy would come in and there were two other hitting, two, three other hitting coaches in there. He'd have beaten all three of them and then probably have beaten whoever brought him in. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's just the way it was. And it wasn't the fact of they didn't know what they're talking about. It's the fact of having too many people in their, in their ear of, you know, the, you said different stuff here and there. And, you know, that's the point. That was the thing. It made you focus on the one guy that was there to help you, you know, these other guys, yeah, we had guys that would throw batting practice stuff, but they didn't say much. They wouldn't say, you know, you they know, didn't just, dare Kevin. They didn't huh? dare. They didn't dare say anything to you. No, but you would ask them, you could say, Hey, you know, can, what, you know, what do you, whatever, you know, about throwing batting practice, can you, you know, doing this and that. And that's what it was, but you had one guy. And now I think we had, you know, we had two buses, right. Going to the, to going to the plane. Now we have, I think we have three because there's so many people. Right. You know, you're, everybody has their own nutritionist as well. And this and that, I mean, it's just, it's what, like Fernando, he'd have probably just run everybody out as well. You know, Oral's the pitching coach. I don't need eight other guys in here telling my guys what to do. And the problem is they, they think they're on the same page, but they're not. Mm-hmm. And that's what it, that's what it leads to. It's just, these guys are just become robotic in what they're doing. It's just inundated more and more and more information. And those are old school guys. Those are guys that, you know, Rudy didn't play. That you know, didn't play at, uh, at the major league level. But 
he understood what guys went through. He was, you know, understanding the guys they were able to, and that was the respect that he had. And that's what I think is going away. These, like you said, these guys just pop up out of nowhere. Oh, I played uh, little league at 12 to cut from the team, but I have a degree in biomechanics. So I know what I'm talking about with hitting because the numbers do this and that I, you know, it's really, that's what it's come to. The numbers do, you know, we want to talk about feel. So you don't know what it's like to feel the pressure of standing in Yankee stadium with 20, 60,000 people games on the line. You're facing Mariano Rivera and you're worried about numbers. Right. But these guys know what it feels like to do that because it's real reality game. <laughs> feel versus real. That, that I get always get a kick out of that because the people that are talking about developing a feel never experienced having a feel. Almost every single one of these gurus out there didn't play at a high level. So what feel, how do they know what it feels like when they've never felt it? Do they know what it feels like to step in the box in Yankee Stadium uh, when you're down by one run and the tie and run on second base and two outs and Mariano Rivera is on the mound? They just played inner Sandman as he came in and 40,000 people are screaming that you suck, Fry, because you're on the Red Sox. Do they know what that feels like? I don't think so. There's no possible way because they haven't been there, but they, you know, the, they read about it. <laughs> they, yeah, they Googled it, but you know, they sure like to talk about, uh, Hey, well, just cause you played, uh, doesn't, you know, at a high level, doesn't mean you know more than I do. I've been studying this and I've been learning and this and that. And I'm just like, you'll never be able to learn what we learn through experience. You can't yeah. find it in a book. You can't find it on the internet it's experience it's ingrained in us it's part of who we are and that's why we can remember at bats we had 20 years ago but forget to pick up some milk on the way home it's ingrained in us it's in our you know it's part of our dna now that we know we remember those experiences whether they turned out good or bad we still remember those ab's we had in double a against that lefty first rounder who thought he was hot shit. We remember that stuff, you know, but the gurus like to say, well, it doesn't matter. I've had, you know, so many good, I've seen so many guys who played pro ball who couldn't teach it and this and that, and we've studied it and these biomechanics and the, uh, it's such hogwash, man. But, but, you know, as long as they have a big following, as long as you got 50,000 followers on Instagram and you can call yourself the hitting doctor or the doctor of hitting, when you didn't play college baseball. Yeah. It's like the old Tommy boy thing. You know, I can guarantee, I can get, you know, I can go take a dump in a box and mark a guarantee if you want. I got plenty of time. Exactly. Right. right? But, but, and I know people, they get so upset with you because of what you, you know, you're, you're, you're destroying bait. You're destroying these guys. That, that, and that's the, that's the biggest farce that there is. It's, it's not that it's destroying anything. It's just bringing to light the the abnormalities that these guys are doing that to with PVC pipe with noodles with bungee cord jump swing the the one you threw the other day guys throwing a ball on the ground that's what I mean it's like people are trying to reinvent the wheel on it and that's where they get butthurt well my drill does this and Jeff says that it's 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 not this way that if you take this to any major league hitting go any and go hey we've got these noodles we want you to what are your thoughts on these noodles they would probably laugh in your face to do it. And I, and I, they're not all bad. 
but the stuff that they teach, it's it, you don't need anything other than a, a tee and a ball and, and going to work and work on the field, the sound in the cage of, of, of what it makes. But, you know, granted, they say guys are throwing harder. And we know the guns are juiced. The guys are throwing harder, but they're and they're teaching these longer swings, these barrel dump noodle swings, right? You, they can't teach Jeff Fry to hit like Aaron Judge, Frank Howard, right? Frank Howard's six eight. He was bigger than Aaron Judge. You, I mean, you saw that that picture I took of him taking a stride. It's bigger than the box. Yeah, you know, you were you know you were half that size, but we want to teach you to hit that way. No, that's what that's what you're trying to say. You can't you can't cookie cutter this. It's an individualized sport, right? This, each guy's different. You can take bits and pieces of other players. But you can't go on here and show this video works, does this, you know, the ball and the shoulder barrel. But every one of these things is just a straight barrel dump. You know, it's all it is. It's not the, what I've learned, right? I think it's in math. The fastest way between two points is what? A straight line. But they want to put the bat on the more plane. There's, you know, the bat's more on plane. So it's so you're starting your swing sooner because you're trying to swing at a level pace. Then you're not creating the backspin. You're trying to lift the ball. You know, I know, granted, I've had guys when I work with a tee, putting a ball that's chest high and guys go, well, I'm not going to swing at this. Well, no shit, you're not going to swing at this. I'm trying to teach you the swing plane to where you, the ball does. It doesn't matter if it's at your chest or at your feet. You don't change your swing plane. But now these guys have all this stuff. But it, it's great when you, when we play golf. So, I mean, it, it seems like we should try those out instead, Fry. Those, those swings, the ball on the ground the other day was perfect. Yeah, well, I think that's where a lot of this started, Kevin. Was the they started measuring, um, you know, the golf swings and, and slow mo and the the ball speed and club head speed. And next thing you know, it's uh, you know it's in baseball. Now we got to build this perfect swing. And and you know, I want to talk a little bit about Rudy Hadamio because Rudy was my hitting coach when he was the roving hitting in coach when I signed with the. The Rangers in '88, and he would go around from team to team and work with the guys. And never once did he ever say anything to me about my swing, not one time. In 15 years, my 15-year professional career, not one hitting coach, and I had some good ones along the way, ever mentioned my swing. But now, we're trying to build a swing. There's swing coaches um, that are trying to perfect this swing that. I guess the numbers say if you swing at this certain launch angle at this whatever that you'll have optimal success. And to me, it's more hogwash because everybody's swing was different. It didn't matter. Some guys just have a knack for getting the barrel on the baseball better than other guys. Guys who had beautiful swings who, for whatever reason, couldn't get out of double A. And guys who had shitty swings played 10 years in the big leagues. And so this whole idea that we have to teach this one swing to get barrel depth and get that bat in the zone soon, and that way your swing is in that zone for a long time, um, all it does is exactly what you said, create a long swing, and these guys can't adjust to anything. That's why they look for one pitch in one zone, and they sell out for that pitch, and if they don't get it, oh, well, I'll just walk back to the dugout 200 times a year. Yep, too many Taking, you know, it's the, the percentages and the numbers that these guys play. Granted, we don't know everything. Even as major league, former major league, we don't know everything. Game's always evolving, yes. 
But we do know enough to understand of, of seeing it as we played guys that would commit to, you know, they check out this thing. We've got this that you do and this and that. And they, they just go by the wayside because it's, it's basically just, it's just like you said, it's a money grab with, with what they try and teach. And that was the beauty of what, you know, what Rudy taught. You, you showed the video the other day of, of what was just that straight downward plane right through the back of the ball, creating the backspin. And I've taught that to kids and parents, well, he's hitting everything into the ground, this and that. You don't need to change the swing. You change the contact point on the baseball, a millimeter, and then the ball's going in the air. It's well, they they have to change everything. So why would you have to change all everything when you all you have to do is change the contact point on the ball? You know, put a dot on it on the ball, put it on the tee, and show them. Uh, I'm going to get some some wiffle ball video of, of doing that stuff, of hitting the balls just to get them to see what it does. You've, just like with playing golf, you know how it is the backspin to get the ball that takes off those three woods, right? Those burners that take off and just rise up. And people go, no, that's backspin's overrated, this and that. Well, you know, they, you can't lift the ball that's at your chest with the swing you have. You're going to pop it up. It's already up there. All you got to do is hit it. But then that's the thing. They want all this stuff. And then, then they go, hey, Fry, well, why don't you do this? Or, hey, Kevin, or, hey, why don't you do, why don't you? And Zani put it pretty good. He goes, because, the information that we have is more valuable than what these guys are teaching because we've experienced it. But then, well, why don't you just go out and do this? Why? Why would we give away free information, right, to these people and let them earn off of what you know, continue to teach? It's like your boy, like your buddy, little Richie, whatever, the stuff that he teaches. Great. It worked with one guy. Great. But, you know, everybody wants to do that. I was talking to a guy the other day about, you know, all this stuff pops up on my feeds about, uh, you know, all these hitting things. I'm like, oh, my God. I don't even know how – I don't even reply to all of them. But one of them was – it was a picture of a guy doing a drill, but he wasn't getting off the backside. And he goes, well – he goes, well, here it is. He showed me a picture of Joey Votto doing it. I go, Joey Votto's a freak of nature. You, you can't compare apples to oranges here. He's at the major league level for a reason. He was able to figure out to get that through. But you can't teach that. You know, it's like Steph Curry. Great one of the greatest three-point shooters in the world, but you don't teach that fundamental of 40-foot three-pointers, mm-hmm. right? You teach the ba- the fundamental three-pointer, the basics of shooting a jump shot. That stuff is beyond. Those guys are just freaks. But, and I'm, you know, that's just a bad analogy to teach that. So you have these kids in, in middle school trying to shoot 60-foot three-pointers well, because Steph Curry does it. Guys, it's just, that's what I mean. That's what they want. They want to take that run with it. Same with the pitching side, you know, the, or the catching side, all these drills of, the one leg knee down, <clears throat> snap, pull balls, and this. Really? I mean, go ask Pudge. Even Zani was talking about it. It's, it's not that hard of a concept to, to grasp, but everything has to have its own – what's the word? I'm looking, everybody has to have their own little piece of it or their own little flair to it. it. It just can't be a fundamental, you know, throwing a ground ball from second. Can you imagine, Fry, I think, if you threw a ball from second to first at 100 miles an hour? Woohoo! Good, good, good job. After a crow hop on a routine grounder to to, to yeah. light up the radar gun at the perfect game uh, showcase. <laughs> That's what you need to do from now on when you introduce up uh, Jeff Fry, former major league player, uh, ninety eight point seven uh, exit velo or thirty two degree launch angle, and uh, whatever other numbers you want to put on there. Right, my my war was whatever. I mean, really, yeah, but I hit one thirty. But I yeah. all yeah. my measurables measurables suggest. I should be a good baseball player. Yeah. And you know who's <laughs> measuring? The, the skinny jean, latte drinking, 
dudes that never made it past Little League. Right. They're the ones that are running baseball. The fake, the fake scouts that write the, well, this kid's uh, he works well through the ground and he's really twitchy and he has a big upside and he's at 8.5 on the perfect game scale and he's ranked number 127 in the state of Maine. And it's like, well, there's only 130 players in Maine. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, we got to show every video. So the parents pay for their kids to go to the showcase so they can get ranked. Yeah. Um, and the college, I guess the colleges buy the information for perfect game and PBR um, because they don't want to, a lot of them don't want to take the time to go out and see these, these kids play. And then they show up on campus in the fall and after you know the first week, the coaches look at each other and go, why the hell did we get this guy? He can't play dead. And then, uh, hey, son, you're not going to be able to play here. Okay, I'll be in the transfer portal. And then uh, then I'll go to another school. And, and four years later, he's on his fourth or fifth school, and he's had a medical red shirt and a regu- regular red shirt, and he's a 23-year-old sophomore who can't play dead. Um, but, you know, mom and daddy spent $25,000 over his amateur career getting him ranked and getting him recognition. Yeah. That's what I, we are. It's pretty, it's really I, sad. Yeah. Well, we've been invited to go to this and that. And I said, I said, the first thing, if you, if they want you bad enough, they will pay for you to go. You don't have to pay. You're in a baseball hotbed here in Texas. You don't need to go to Florida, Arizona, California. If they want you bad enough, they will find a way for you to get there, right? You you pay, you come, and we'll do this, but you have to pay your flight. Your, no, if they want you bad enough, they will find a way to get you there. That's the problem, right? It's just they're basically just chumming the water and see who's taking the bait, and that's and that and that's and that's exactly what happens. So now, and you talk about the scouting side of, of these guys. That's social media, I guess, is good for that to see guys their highlights. But I don't want to see the highlights. I want to see you in the dugout. During a game, when when it's the game's out of control and your team's getting boat raced, what are you doing over there? Are you over there just playing grab ass and, and everything else? Or are you over there trying to get your team, your guys around that you that you can build around the character stuff, right? And that scouts are, I mean, are going by the wayside because it's they've gotten rid of it, and and that's what you don't see. That's that interaction, you know. Even you know, guys are looking at iPads during the game, this and that. Rudy would have smashed those things. He probably <laughs> hit us with them if he had anything like that in the dugout. Because how do we learn best? By seeing things, by being out, watching the game happen, right? I would sit in the dugout and talk with our, with our pitching coach you know, sometimes just to see what they're thinking. I'd sit there with Oral and be like, hey, you know what, you know, what are they, what's he thinking here doing this and that, right? Because I wanted to learn, learn more and more. You know, Kobe talked about it, about uh, who studies the, the referee's handbook in basketball, right? Kobe studied it because he found – the blind spots where he can get away with things. Who does that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. right? To be able to figure out, to give himself an advantage, an edge. You know, that's the stuff that you don't see anymore. Guys going above and beyond what's needed or required. It seems like they just want to do the bare minimum and that's it. And don't want to listen to anybody in the dugout. They just want to, they want to do it themselves. And you see that from, from youth on up. It's, I know more than you at eight years old. And that's what we deal with, Fry. And I'm, you know, even with, with lessons, people ask me about lessons. I can't do lessons with somebody that's probably less than 13 because they don't listen. It's hard. And I see, unless it's your kid and I can smack around a little bit, I really don't want to deal with it because they just don't. 
right? They don't have the strength to do it, but yet they're teaching these kids, your buddy Richie, these eight-year-olds to hit like Aaron Judge. They can barely even hold the bat. <laughs> but we got to teach it because, because we want you to be, you know, we see dollar signs at eight, right? Come on, man. I think that's a lot of it. I think a lot of these parents are seeing these ridiculous contracts and going, man, I hope our son makes that someday. He can buy us a new house and pay off all our debt. And we'll just keep forking over this money and, and going on all these trips every weekend. And, you know, I did a little bit of the select stuff with my boys. I just wanted to see how committed they were, um, you know, see if they were going to be able to play in college or whatever. Neither one of them did. Um, what, what I experienced was uh, – these parents were so excited about making these trips out of state. And I'm like, I didn't understand it. It's like, why are you so excited to go from DFW to Oklahoma city for a weekend, pay for $200 a night for a hotel to play a team from Dallas? Why do you not have a social life? I mean, I was dreaded every weekend. I was like, oh, my God, we got to go to freaking McKinney at 8 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. we got to leave it. we got to be there an hour early so the kids can hit 10 balls into a freaking net and then go out there and play like they didn't want to be there. I freaking hated it, Menchie. I couldn't stay. It was like the worst summers of my life. Every weekend from Friday to Sunday evening, we were playing baseball, bad baseball, because you know each age group has to have four – four different teams and then you're on the A, B, C, D team or whatever because you signed up late and it was, man, these kids couldn't play dead. Maybe one or two kids on a team, but the, the level of baseball was sad. It's watered down, right? You can take select and slap it on anything. Select means nothing anymore. And I, and I coached and I coached the main reason why was it, I mean, it was for the boys of, of knowing, but it was I had multiple kids so being able to to dictate when practice were so I could see all of them. You know, I didn't travel out of state to play one because, you know, the people talk about going to Alabama and playing at the beach. If I'm going to the beach, I'm going to the beach. I don't want to be there. Those kids don't want to be there playing. They, right? My thoughts would be on the beach, not baseball. Right. right. So I kept it around here where, like I said, you're right. You go to Oklahoma City and you could have paid 50 bucks and got umpires and played right here in the Metroplex. But you're going out of state just because – and that, that's the thing. I, multiple kids, you want to see your kids grow up, but you want them to be competitive. So, and that comes down to when you're coaching as well, knowing, you know, what tournaments, what teams are there, the competitiveness. And then at the same time, I mean, I've got three kids watching my girls go play soccer and play basketball on top of the baseball. So, yeah, the weekends were running around doing it, but it was it was fun because I got a chance to, to, to watch different stuff. It, if it was really bad baseball or bad whatever, you know, that was it just it, but you're right. It, it kind of helps the kids too to see how into it they are, and they're willing to put in the effort to get to that point, right? To make, to put in the effort that we did as kids, right? And practicing five days a week, six days a week, getting out there hitting whatever it was. If I didn't have a baseball to hit, I was going to go find rocks or whatever acorns and hit it and hit stuff and do stuff. But that multiple sport thing as well of different muscle groups. I played hockey, I played soccer, and I played baseball growing up. You know, now these kids are one sport oriented from the time they're 10 or 11. All right. And they get, and you see it and they get burned out, but you, you know, you play different stuff as well. And it, and it helped us one. I think the mentality of it, you know, different demographics. One, I played hockey. I mean, hockey's different than, than my soccer group. And then the same as a baseball, 
But so you, you got that and it gave you different things, different learning experience of understanding, you know, what, how guys think. And I think that helped me as well. when I got to the major league level of the different mentalities. We play with guys from, you know, Japan, Korea, the Dominican, Venezuela, Mexico, Canada, different ethnicities, different backgrounds, different guys, but we were all understood that we were all trying to get to the same goal. Um, just like in youth sports, you're trying to win whatever it is you're playing, but you know, you see it now, you get to high school, they've got to play one sport, one sport, and, and injuries are going through the roof. I mean, heck, ask a kid now, they can't bend over and touch their toes. Yeah. The, uh, I mean, baseball is a game of attrition. We know that we played, you know, our seasons were 162 games and that's not really counting the, you know, the month and a half of spring training. And if you get lucky to make the playoffs, it's, you know, you're talking about eight and a half to nine months a year. And then you got to shut her down and do nothing for a month or two. And, but now these young kids are being pushed to play in the fall and in the spring, go to a lesson two or three times a week, you know, with some junior college kid who played one year of JUCO and now all of a sudden because he's got a big following on social media he's charging 75 bucks an hour to I guess to teach your kid how to not be a good hitter because if he was a good hitter he wouldn't have played just one year in JUCO but now but now you know I see uh, I did a camp uh, you know the gov Jerry Brown him and I did it infield camp about a month ago maybe a little bit more than that and it was, uh, we had about 60 kids. We had two groups. Jerry played 10 years in the big leagues. I played just over nine. We had three hour sessions. During the sessions, we had my good friend, Colonel Craig Flowers, talk to the parents and the kids about character development and leadership and taking control of your life and, and, and start making good choices. And that camp was 125 bucks a kid. And then I see the same weekend, the doctor of hitting, who didn't play college baseball is doing six hour elite hitting camp with nine to 14 year olds for $250. And I'm like, wait a minute, something's, am I not charging enough? Are parents paying these unqualified people to teach their kids uh, too much? I mean, what's going Something's haywire here because, uh, you know, you have young kids. Can your 9, 10, 11-year-old kids stay focused for six hours of hitting camp? No, not at all. And that's, I think that's the biggest thing you talk about, the numbers. Think about it. people in general. The more that they see something, right, regardless if it's true or not, the more they see it, this guy's the hitting doctor. Keep seeing the hitting doctor, the hitting doctor. Maybe he is a hitting doctor. Let me go see him, right? It, because that, I got sold on the social media side of the hitting doctor does this. 250 bucks. I mean, you know, it's just like these college baseball camps, $250 to go down to these college camps. And should we go? It's just glorified babysitting down there. Those kids are not putting in for, for 200 kids, the effort that's actually needed for that. I mean, if that's what you want to pay for the experience of $250, perfect. That's what you want to say. But you're right. These hitting guys and go in here and just, you see it all the time. You walk into a cage or whatnot. I just, I just shake my head because it's, you know, and then people get, like you said, they get butt hurt. They, they cancel you because you, it, guys, it just doesn't work, but they think it does. They know more than us and you can't agree to disagree. You know, people want to say they want to talk, but it just comes down to now I'm just going to call my mom and tell them that, tell Twitter that Jeff hurt my feelings 
and this and that. And they want to say, well, you're picking on kids. You're not picking on kids. It's not the kids that pick these guys out. It's the parents that pick them out and send their kid there because he's the hitting doctor, the doctor of hitting. And that's what, that's all you're trying to point out. People want to make it sound like it's a personal attack on the kid, on the, the instructor. It's on the system that's being taught. That's the problem. They get that's where the, where it gets. So you know, there are people out there. They you know, I don't like Jekyll. That's fine, guys. But all he's trying to do is bring this to light. And if you don't like it, then then, then just don't respond. Right. That's all they have to do. But they have to. Everybody, I've got to chime in. I've got to. Right. And it's hard, you know, when you're sitting there and you see those guys doing videos. I just want to click and say, oh my gosh, shake my head. And what are you teaching? And I and I ask honest questions too. Why is it not doing this? And sometimes they'll be sarcastic, and I'm just like, all right, never mind, forget it. I'm trying to have a normal conversation, but you can't, right? It's almost as if it's an attack. The questions are attacks nowadays. They're not even a question. Yeah, and I've got that a lot that, you know, I am criticizing kids. I've never criticized one kid on social media. Somebody said that, I think, yesterday. Um, I'm basically trying to educate the parents to the bad teachings that's out there that you and I and all the guys that we played with and against agree with. And, you know, I have a huge amount of support from ex player, ex professional players, college coaches, high school coaches, um, that can't necessarily speak out. Um, but I know they're there because they message me all the time. And, and I think one of the things that people don't realize is that I have, high school kids, boys and girls, sending me videos every single day on social media, asking me to critique their swings. What do I see? Is there anything I could, um, you know, help them with? And I do it all the time, Kevin, for nothing, for free. And then I see that these social media hitting guys that uh, are charging, you know, a hundred bucks for little Johnny to send in three videos and then we'll critique it. And then we can, for 200 bucks, then we can put you on this, uh, how to teach you not to drag the bat program or this or that. And it's insane. The amount of money these guys are making from parents who have no clue. Um, you know, if, if mom and dad's washing machine breaks down, you know a little bit about this because you told me that <laughs> half your appliances in your house died at the same time. So if you're looking, uh, you need a new washer and dryer for your house, you're not just going to uh, drive to the store and, and buy the first one you see. You're going to do some research. Which one has the best ratings? Which is it? What are people saying about this? You know, how long does it last? You're going to do some research. But when it comes to finding a, a hitting or a pitching coach for your kid or a swing coach, you're going to go to the local facility and see the guy who's in there with four kids with PVC pipes or rope bats or, or what, uh, noodles and say, oh, he must be the guy. Look at all the people there. And the parents go, oh, yeah, he's really good. And next thing you know, your kid can't play dead because uh, the hitting guru taught him how to hit homers at eight years old, and he weighs about 42 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> it, I, and you're right. It's just – and you ask people as well, right? You go and ask the people that have – worked on appliances. Hey, what are your thoughts on it? Somebody that, and you don't just go with the first one. You get, you know, you get a couple of estimates of, Hey, what are your thoughts? Well, 
you know, this is, I've been around it for this and that. And, and okay, he gave me this information. Go to the next guy to see what his thoughts are. Okay, this guy, okay, they're starting to sound a little bit similar here. So, I, you know, I, it, right? So I've got a little bit more info. And then go to the third guy and he's doing it, but he's got a little bit more. But what, so these guys are all know what they're doing. Now it's up to you to figure out, not just a, like I said, a blind throw at a, at a phone book. Oh, it landed on this guy. Let's go. And wasting your time and money. And then coming back. So how many people, I don't know, Jeff, have, have gone to these guys and then after the fact have sent you a message and come back and go, this is complete hogwash. This guy was full of, I mean, do you, do you have a count of how many people have come back to you saying, you know, you are right? Or is yeah. it just more of a, you know, you don't know what you're talking about type stuff? Well, a lot of the people that go to these people probably don't want my opinion because I've already made it pretty clear my opinion. Um, I've had a lot of coaches tell me that uh, they've had to fix some of Little Richie's guys that went to him and this kid was a great player in high school and next thing you know he started seeing Rich and, and he hasn't been a good player ever since. And But you never hear about that. You don't hear about the, you know, what happened to Scott Kingery. Ooh, what gosh. happened to Scott Kingery? Poor guy was uh, – you know, signed a, a six-year major league contract before he played a day in the big leagues. Uh, more money than you and I made combined in our just over 17 years in the big leagues. He signed before he played a day in the big leagues. And next thing you know, he's went from being a line drive gap hitter to try and hit homers. And at 28, he's been designated for assignment. Well, he learned HLP swing from Little Richie. Uh, but you never hear about him. You only hear about Aaron Judge because – He's the best hitter in the American League and hit 62 homers, and he's six foot eight, six foot seven, 280 pounds, and can miss hit balls over the fence. But you don't hear about Scott Kingery, so we don't hear about the, the failed kids because I think a lot of it, Menchie, is I think the parents are probably embarrassed because they should be because they took their kid not doing any research to some hitting guru who ruined him. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, another thing, you know, people get mad at you about is – you know, you show in some of these these kids at these showcases, the bat flips, and you know, and, and all this stuff. And people say, "Well, you're picking on the kid." No, you're not. You're 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 talking about the clown antics that are being done, right? Of what I mean, is this what it's come to? You know, it's the act like you've done it before is going by the wayside, right? The respect for the and, and baseball will sort it out because the, the baseball gods. Uh, you know how we always talk about baseball. They they don't let that stuff happen. So you, you know, in the way you know swings are being taught now, the averages are on the on the decline for sure, and it's going to sink itself. So that's I think that's the beauty of it, just letting it kind of play itself out and keeping the guys the old school guys. I mean, they brought Bochi in here to Texas, an old school guy with Mad Dog pitching coach, old school guy. These old schoolers, you know, the Dave Roberts. Right. You, you know, uh, Rob Thompson in Philadelphia, you know, these old school guys, you know, Aaron Boone in, in New York, these old school guys that are there that are trying to to keep it alive. Because if if not, they get weeded out. You're going to have latte drinking guys in the dugout. Right. With their cigarettes, with their whatever those plastic things are on them and their Mai Tais with their parasails coaching a game that they've never made it out of high school with because the numbers say that I can do it, this guy, this, this, and this. And that's where it's going. You know, the hit and runs, the guys, leadoff hitters, the Kenny Loftons, the Ray Durhams, you know, the, you know, the David Eckstein's guys that couldn't hit the ball, I mean, you know, 500 feet, but 
he was a pest. He was a guy that was going to battle, get on base for, for Vladdy behind him, right? The guys that the teams that win doing the small stuff. And it's just completely gone. And baseball is hard to watch. I mean, 17 games with four hits and 40 strikeouts, right? That's, <laughs> I can't watch that's, it, man. That's what it's coming to. But, you know, like you said you just continue to do what you're doing and just bringing this stuff to light. And eventually it's going to start to, to click with people, right? Because they're going to see the thing, especially kids. Kids can see the forest through the trees. It comes down to what their parents are forcing them to be a part of, right? The coaches that know what they're doing, right? When somebody's coaching, you go, well, who's this? Well, he played this and that. So I do a little research just to see, right? I'm going to see how they coach, what they've done before I just go, oh, yeah, we'll just go play over there, right? So, I mean, that's that's the thing. I think we just need to – when someone opens the door for us, you walk in and say, no, this isn't working. And you just continue to bring the light the stupidity and the stuff that's being taught because it, you know, it's just, it's insane what it's doing, what it's causing the great game of baseball. I agree, man. And and we'll keep plugging away. Um, you know, who knows what's going to happen with my, uh, my situation on Twitter. I was, uh, suspended on Twitter because, uh, posted a video, a driveline video that they had already posted. And, uh, so now my account is permanently suspended. Thankfully, um, I have a really advanced three-month-old grandson named James. I call him Jimmy, and he started an account for me um, to keep spreading the word. Uh, so check out Jimmy. He's at Not Fried Daddy on Twitter, um, also on uh, Facebook and Instagram, spreading the message. And Kevin, I, w- I want to talk a little bit. Before I let you go about your podcast, the Big Head Pod seems to be doing really well. Now you've got a couple uh, things you're uh, endorsing now with the Big uh, Big Head Pod, and uh, would you mind mentioning those for us? Yeah, one is uh, Herman Marshall Whiskeys, our our big uh, one of our sponsors. They're out of, uh, out of Wiley. They building a brand new distillery out there. I have to get you out there once they get you open, get you a couple bottles to try it out. They are going to open in the spring. They're making this big old outdoor facility. Uh, they do a pretty good job over there. And I, you know, I learned more about the whiskey side of it, you know, because it's just like, like sports in general, the more you're, you're around something, the more you want to learn, right. And being engulfed in it and learn how the process goes. And then uh, early bird CBD gummies, they're out of Austin as well. They're Texas based as well. Just like Herman Marshall, they uh, CBD gummies. I take two of those at night fry about 30 minutes, it feels like the couch just engulfs me. I go to sleep, sleep like a baby, a nice good sleep. Helps with my joints too, because I'm so old. You know, these these cold days like we have now make me feel better, but they're, you know, helping with that. And and through the podcast, I'm just through the big head pod. And we're uh, we're on the dub network, you know, covering all the major sports that are on there. I do the baseball side. Craig Ludwig does the hockey. Nate Newton and Isaiah Stanback do uh football and then Derek Harper does basketball. And, uh, you know, we're just, we just try and have these conversations here, but, you know, people's stories and, and trying to keep, you know, the things on my side with the baseball, just what guys have been through. You know, I've, you've listened to some of my podcasts, you know, I've had umpires on, I've had military guys on just hearing their stories. And, you know, that's what, that's just what, you know, I'm into is just having the conversation and really getting down to, you know, what people think and, you know, how baseball has changed, where it's going, and seeing different opinions, right? Because in baseball, we play only, what, 20,000 of us have played at the major league level. And everybody has a different viewpoint of it. 
you know, you were on there with me talking with uh, the old gray wolf, Mike Reiner. Love you know, He wanted to be on there. He asked, he's like, can I be on here with fries? Absolutely. Come on here and, <laughs> and listen and see that because, right, he was around, you know, when you were playing the C and, and what your opinion was and, you know, just different guys, different eras, what they went through. You know, a lot of guys dealt with a lot of different stuff, you know, drugs and alcohol. I had Spezio on talking about what he went through. Uh, Shay Hellenbrand talking about what he went through. And I'm just trying to hope that whatever I I talk about and the message that those guys share, that somebody out there hears it and it can help them, right? If, you know, we always talk about, you know, with faith, if, if you, as even as coaches, if we've changed one person's life each a day, we've done our job, whether it's through baseball, through conversation, right? Because we can't change the world, but we can change one person at a time because one person, what? knows one more person. Now we're starting to multiply through this. And I think that's what you've trying to create as well with yours is we're just trying to get the message out. If somebody hears it and and deviates from these this, this these other gurus that think they know and they're going to what actually works, then you've done your job. And if like you said, any publicity is good publicity. And if that's what's bothering people that you're speaking the truth and they don't like it, hey there's always other people out there that are continue to pass because, right, you already have somebody else leading your message just because they want to cancel you. They can't cancel everybody. Yeah. Right. They tried, you know, Twitter tried to cancel everybody. Elon came in and said, yeah, you're not doing that anymore. Right. And, right? and here we are. Maybe we just got to send Elon a message We're like, hey, Elon, we're just speaking the truth like you are. And maybe that'll work. Yeah. Hey, Elon, uh, free Jeff. That's hashtag free Jeff. That's what we're working on on the. Yeah. On Twitter, fry. you can figure it out. We can get them out there. Free fry. That's right. Well, I think you're doing a great job, Kevin. I can't wait to listen um, to the uh, Spezio podcast, um, folks. If you want to listen to the Shigon podcast, you can listen to us on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher. Subscribe, like, and follow. Check out Kevin's podcast, The Big Head Pod. Uh, it's a great show. I've I might be your number one listener. I've started listening a lot the last week. Um, since I'll be indoors a lot with this weather, Kevin, I, I might listen to all of them. But yeah. I, I appreciate you taking the time uh, yeah. today to come on here. And, um, you know, I, I look forward to uh, developing our friendship because uh, you know, I, I really like you. And we became friends after my career or whatever, and getting to know you. And I like what you're doing. And uh, we just keep fighting the fight, man. Hopefully, some of these people will listen. We can't help everybody, but uh, you know, maybe if people listen and give us a chance, that they'll, they'll learn something that can help them down the road. So keep doing yeah. your thing. Uh, thanks, Dave D'Agostino, for being an you know, awesome producer of the show. Check out our podcast on the um, Coach and Kernan podcast. Um, it's been great having my friend Kevin Mench on here. Hang on for a sec, Kevin. This yeah, Jeff Fry signing off from the Shigon podcast. Follow me on social media too, wherever I am. Kevin Mench28. Check it out. And then dubtalks.com is where you can find it on all those what Spotify and Apple and all that stuff. So I'm new to all this stuff. I'm no nerd when it comes to this for sure. Yeah, I know. When you got on on Twitter, that's when they kicked me off. I don't know what's up with that. But anyway, I'll uh, I'll make sure I post all your stuff to uh or have little Jimmy do it. Um, on on his Twitter to uh, make sure people can follow you and check out your show. Absolutely. I'm going to follow little Jimmy now. There you go, man. Well, I appreciate it, Kevin. This is yep. Jeff Fry signing off from the She Gone Podcast. She Gone. Hey.